0: Hey, everyone. It's Matt. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to tell you about two live events I have coming up in the next month where I would love to see you. The first is June 17th to 19th. It's called the Remedy Food Project, and it's in Toronto, Canada, where I'm really excited to go because I hear such great things about it as a vegan-friendly city. And another reason I'm really excited about this event is the speaker lineup. It's by far the best I've ever been a part of. Dr. T. Colin Campbell, Dr. Garth Davis, Chef AJ, Dr. Tom Campbell, Dr. Richard Oppenlander, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn Jr., Dr. Robert Osfeld, Dr. Michael Greger, Jane Esselstyn, Lindsey Nixon, me, Doug McNish, Doug Lyle, Brenda Davis, John Pierre, and Jason Robel. That is a great lineup. It's one I'm really excited to be a part of, and I hope you will consider joining me there in Toronto. If you decide to come June 17th, 19th, it's at remedyfood.org, and you can save 20% off the price of a ticket by using my code NOMEATATHLETE. Also, if you come to that one, let me know. Send me an email at matt at and I will send you a cool package of some past videos from this event, as well as my Wake Up, 31 Days in Actions to Take Charge of Your Life ebook. Hope to see you there. The other event, immediately following that one, June 20th to 24th at the Stanford Inn by the Sea in Mendocino, California, is what I'm doing with Sid Garza Hillman, my friend from Health Made Simple. It's a vegan running retreat where we're going to be there for 4 days hanging out, doing yoga, listening to talks. Included is a 4-night stay at the Stanford Inn Vegan Eco Resort, breakfast and dinners at their award-winning Ravens restaurant, 8 runs with me and Sid, a healthy living class with Sid himself, a running talk with me, 3 private yoga classes, and a welcome gift, all of it can be yours at a 10% discount if you use your code No Athlete. If you'd like to join me and sit at this one, it's nomeatathlete.com slash retreat, and don't forget to use the code NOMEATATHLETE to save 10%. Hope to see you at one of these events. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to no Meat Athlete Radio. Welcome everybody to episode 146 of No Meat Athlete Radio. I am Matt Frazier, joined for just a few minutes by Doug Hay before we get into an interview. Our first in a really long time. Yeah, you're, yet again, you're ditching me for the interview. <laughs> I sure am. That's what the people want, Doug. I think you're embarrassed to put me, show me off in public. You know, when people <laughs> join, join us for a conversation, you're like, I don't want him over here as well. Well, when you were on, you were on the, uh, the, what was it? Calspiracy one, yeah, yeah uh-huh. and you made a fool of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did say something I ended up editing out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that, but you are our environmental correspondent, so you belong in on right. that one. Yeah, um, yes, no, it's really just that we haven't haven't really put in the effort to line up interviews and things like that. But we're back at that, and actually have two coming up in the next few weeks. So this one. Is with Jasmine Singer, who, if you are uh, an avid vegan podcast listener, you probably already know. She is, of course, the host of our Hen House, which is a very, very popular vegan podcast. In addition to having been recently on Rich Rolls, and Jasmine has a book out called "Always Too Much and Never Enough." Came out pretty recently, I think, the past month or so, and it's a memoir. It's about her weight loss because she lost close to 100 pounds, hmm. not by going vegan because she was vegan for a while, an ethical vegan. Uh, but I think a a junk food vegan after kind of being raised on a bunch of junk food. And, uh, you know, I think came across the documentary Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead, used that to lose a bunch of weight. And the memoir is not so much about, uh, I mean, I guess a lot of it is about the weight loss, but I think it's about the process of self-discovery in there and kind of breaking a food addiction uh, and learning to to love yourself. So Very nice. uh, Yeah, it is nice. It's, It's a good topic. It's one that we don't really talk about much when we've talked about weight loss a little bit with chef aj that was more in the technical how-to kind of thing uh this this i don't think will be that way at all uh but i think it should be fun and and i've been on their podcast our hen house which it's you know it's a different genre from ours it's still in the vegan niche i guess but um definitely much more about activism and stuff like that so i was on theirs and it was a nice little overlap of of the the tif- different topics. Jasmine has used the half marathon roadmap to run a half marathon, which is cool. cool. um So you know, there's a little overlap there. And I think I think it'll be just just a nice different kind of interview, and I am really looking forward to talking to her because she she's definitely one of the big influencers in this movement. Someone who uh, has done a whole lot for it. So I'm pretty excited to talk to her. Great, I'm excited to hear it. Yes, you will not be on it. <laughs> I will not be on it. <laughs> Ah, uh, we appreciate you, Doug. Though. Oh, thanks, Matt. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get to our interview. You, you by the way, have run a hundred miler. I know. Can you believe it? <laughs> I hope. <laughs> by the time this airs, you will have run a hundred miler in about three days. Yep. But not quite yet. Not yet. But we'll check in with uh, next time with with an update about that. Yeah. Good or bad? Hopefully, good. <laughs> Fingers <laughs> Hopefully crossed. All right. Let's get to the interview. Enjoy it, everyone. Thanks. Hey everyone, Matt Fraser here with Jasmine Singer, who you probably know as a co-host of Our Hen House and author of the new book, Always Too Much and Never Enough, uh, which is really nice, fun, interesting read. I'm a few chapters in Jasmine and enjoying it already, uh, particularly the 1980s references. So thank you for uh, for joining us to, to talk about that and, and, you know, your kind of life as it relates to what's in the book.
1: Thanks, Matt. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Yeah, so um, I... I I guess for those who, I mean, we've given a little intro already uh, before this, but, but for those who don't know anything about the book uh, or you, it's, it's a story of, of weight loss. You, you've lost over 100 pounds in this, or sorry, up less, slightly less than 100 pounds, close to 100 pounds in this process. <laughs> um, but it's not really about weight loss. It's much, much more about, I don't, I mean, is it self discovery? Is it dealing with uh, emotional issues, food addiction? How would you describe that part?
1: I would say yes. <laughs> okay. The all, all of, of the above. In my book Always Too Much and Never Enough is it's basically learning the ways that I had been betrayed by the food the food industry, in particular big ag or factory farming, and in the process of picking apart what that discovery meant for me, I also started to realize the ways that I had been betraying myself, so as part of that and seeking authenticity, which is something I'm still seeking, and I hope I always will be it it, it really pertains directly to food addiction and relationships that I've had with my body, and how that plays a much bigger role in the way I see uh, the our relationship with other bodies, both human and non, and how we choose to consume them or not.
0: Good, alright. So that, that uh is incredibly deep stuff. And uh, I hate to say it, but you are on the wrong podcast for, for deep discussions. Um we, we we are accused often of being being uh would actually often it's not fair. I've gotten complaint emails saying that this is too much like a frat party and it doesn't sound like uh you know anything that's that's good to listen to. So my my concern is that I'm not gonna do a good job of, of getting into these, you know, real deep meaningful interesting issues like uh like what you did on Rolls podcast you know just just dove into stuff
1: let's just be shallow matt i'm good let's let's talk about the
0: (laughs) 1980s (laughs) we could do that knock hockey i mean that that, that, i love that one
1: how old are you
0: i am 35
1: okay so i'm like a tiny little bit older than you but it's the same general area of fluorescence
0: (laughs) yeah there's yeah for me like growing up the 80s are are this like you know, a really interesting mix of of memories where like you were just kind of a little bit too young to really fully know what was going on, but like catch Punky Brewster kind of at the tail end of that series and all that no I
1: I was I was all in I, I was Punky Brewster and then I had an older brother so it was kind of you know in following his his lead with with uh Tom Petty's don't come around here anymore you know I was I was definitely all in in the 80s but yeah that's just that's just the backdrop for a lot of my story as you said and I'm fine talking about any aspect of this book that you want to, Shout or
0: So deep. my my suggestion is, I actually I'm actually really curious, just because we do talk a lot about change and how do you create change, um, not just in your body but but in in your mental state too, which obviously you've done plenty of. So what I want to do is actually start start there, like kind of start with the. I know it's not about how you lost 100 pounds, but I do want to start with that, and I think we'll use that as like a jumping off point, um, you know, for then talking about things that that I guess it's hard to say they're more meaningful because certainly losing hundred pounds is incredibly meaningful and, and has uh, very, very deep implications, you know, in, as you've, as you've experienced, um, the way that you feel and the way that you're treated by people. So let's just, let's start there. How, how did you, you know, how did you become a hundred pounds overweight? Really? I guess is, is the first question. And I know it's, it's a long, long story about childhood and things, but can you, you know, talk about where just how things developed and how you got to that point?
1: Yeah, well, I grew up in the shadow of my mom, who is this very beautiful, beautiful, thin person who's very, very aware of her body and her and she I I would say she always knew she was the prettiest in the room and she kind of banked on that. She would probably say that differently. And I, I don't mean that as meanly as. As it came out, but I think a lot of pretty people have that thing where they're just aware that they're the prettiest person in the room. And I was not particularly pretty. I mean, I was, I looked a little like Punky Brewster, (laughs) but I, you know, I was just this quirky fat kid who was completely bullied. And so it was difficult for me to to go with my mother to her Weight Watchers meetings because she was always seeking the perfect body and to go with her to her Nutrisystem meetings and her Jenny Craig meetings. And I would just kind of trail behind her. And, and it was always, it was always clear to me that food was a, not a vehicle for satisfaction or nourishment, but it was, it was a distraction or a thing that can be controlled in order to get thinner, Mm. in order to look different. So just from the get-go, I had a bad relationship with food and with my body. And I came from a broken family where food became the one constant that I had. So, you know, that's the basis. That's the bottom of it. I'm trying to not get too deep because I don't want to disappoint your... (laughs)
0: No, you certainly won't disappoint people. I'm, I'm, I don't want to disappoint as a host, not really, you know, just,
1: I'm I'm joshing you. Good.
0: No, go for it. I want, I want to hear the details. Definitely. Like, so, so you, I mean, depression, you know, sort of, sort of, I don't know, bullied, made, you know, outcast type
1: well i just the first it was also addiction you know how it goes I, I, the first foods i ate it was the 80s as we keep saying It was the foods that were popular then it was sugary processed junk foods and many many years later when i went vegetarian and then vegan i just replaced my former processed junk food habits with the vegan the vegetarian and then the vegan version of that so i never ever looked at food as something that could be an ingredient in self-care. And so it it just I was addicted physically because these foods are created to make us addicted to them. So I was physically addicted to them and they were they were there for me. Oreos were always there for me at the mm-hmm. end of long days. That's how I that's how I did it. That's how I did it like everybody <laughs> else.
0: Sure. Okay. And then and f- for a decent amount of time after you were vegetarian and vegan, uh as you kind of referred to right now, you you still didn't lose that weight. I mean, you you still had that weight. You were you Gain's were the fat weight. vegan, right? I okay. gained a,
1: a ton of weight. Yeah, def, definitely. It's and veganism is not in and of itself a weight loss regimen. It can be, but it it can also be full of processed junk foods, as sure. mine was. And and you know, it's that the silver lining there is that there is a vegan version of every kind of animal product out there. But and i I. The food is a very personal political issue, which is something I talk about in my book. And what I did was focus entirely on the political as an activist. And I, I completely ignored my own bodily integrity and, and paid attention instead to the bodily integrity of animals who I was trying to not consume and to eat, advocate for in my career as an animal rights activist.
0: Yeah. And, and that's I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually where I wanted to go next, which is like... To go vegetarian and then vegan. I mean, those of us who have made it work would you know, would say it's you know, we found ways to make it not that hard. But to most people, that sounds like a tremendously hard thing. Like someone who, who even someone who's overweight, if you were to tell them, Well, the way to do it to actually lose that weight, all you have to do is if you actually go vegan, um, you can do it, they would say that's you know, that's too much. Like that's a really hard thing to do. So how as someone uh who was addicted to food, you know, were you successful at Making a change like that, even though it wasn't towards health food yet? Is it just that the food, you know, you still found so much junk food that you didn't really feel like you were giving up anything? It just well, seems to me that you could make such a dramatic food change when already being, feeling addicted to food.
1: Well, first of all, I went vegetarian when I was 18. It was, it was the 90s and, There was a lot less information out there than there is now. And so all I ate was cheese omelets, cheese pizzas and macaroni and cheese. When I went vegetarian, I was probably significantly less healthy than I was when I also consumed animal flesh just because it was all I ate. And uh, so now I think when people go vegetarian, I think they, they tend to go more vegan than, than I did. I I don't even know if I knew the word vegan at that point. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was super easy. And then by the time I went vegan and uh, all of these – when I was 24, all of these foods became available to me and it's it, it becomes this hobby. It's, I live in New York City and it's like one big web connecting – the vegan cupcake on the upper west side to the butterfinger shake on, in williamsburg to the vegan panini in soho and it becomes like a game it's 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 a very the veganism is a very social scene in new york city i always try to be more involved in the activist scene but there's a strong social network of vegans in new york and it's diff, you know it's fun and alluring to just jump into that and it's difficult when you're in that to also be like oh yo
0: i need a vegetable Mm -hmm. right so so it it wasn't i'm just i'm still kind of wondering like how like i mean you know not not ever having food addiction or or really even knowing how to, to relate but like if i would think if you if your thought is i can't control myself around food or i can't i can't tell myself no i can't have that i can't you know, win that fight ever. I'm just wondering, like, how how do you then make this change that says, well, now I actually can't eat any hamburgers, any real hamburgers anyway, uh, mm-hmm. or steak or like, how, like how do you do oh, all these yeah. things? You know what I mean? When when maybe you're not uh, so good at controlling, you know, food urges and things like that? Is it just because that you were so motivated by the political stuff?
1: It didn't become about, yeah, it wasn't food to me anymore. And it didn't become about deprivation. It became about abundance, like way, way, way too much abundance. <laughs> like right. I was bursting with abundance. It wasn't about I can't have that cheesesteak. It was about I better find that vegan cheesesteak. And then you <laughs> right. find I can still eat exactly what I ate before. And in my case, I could still eat, you know, ad nauseum, literally, <laughs> until I was unable to, you know, really look at all I had been hiding behind my Oreos and I was hiding so many truths behind this addiction. And that that was what ultimately came out as I started to uh, incorporate vegetables and juicing and smoothies and whole foods into my body. I, I started to realize all of the truths that had been hiding behind my mindless consumption of junk foods
0: and that's exactly where I want to go next. So that's that's a wonderful uh, segue. So I, you were introduced to to the film Fat Sick and Nearly Dead, which obviously has helped a tremendous amount of people um, by encouraging them to go on on a a juice fast, juice feast, whatever you might want to call it. Um, so so you just did you just jump into that? Is that is that basically where where it all well, started?
1: When I was thirty, I was I went to the doctor. I felt like crap all the time. And, you know, I'd been used to feeling like crap. So feeling like crap was pretty much my normal. So I didn't really register it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when you're in an unhealthy relationship of any kind and that's your normal. So you don't always see it. My unhealthy relationship was with my body. And I went to the doctor. I couldn't go up a flight of stairs without being winded. I had acne, adult onset acne, which I had never gotten before. I had a lot of depression uh, and I just ached constantly I constantly ached and the, my doctor found out that I, I had extremely high triglycerides I was on my way to heart disease I, I weighed you know well into the 220s and and I am five foot four and so I went after that to California for a work trip out to San Francisco and I met with the publishers of a magazine I write for, and they had a press copy, an advanced press copy of Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. So that movie, as you just mentioned, is about how Joe Cross uses juicing to return his health back from an autoimmune dis- disease. And it was just like the stars aligning. And I said, OK, I'm going to just try this. And and I tried a 10-day juice fast. This was September 2010 and I in in those 10 days not only did I lose 11 pounds and my skin became clear but it was the first time in my life I had consumed a vegetable really <laughs> and and in addition to consuming a vegetable by way of juicing it of course what was even more profound for me is that it was the first time in my life I had taken a break from the mindless consumption of, of food and so I was able to look at what was behind it what was empty beneath that's not you know I also had as you will read or have read in the book I also had these weird bouts with eating disorders where one of the bouts included not eating at all Mm -hmm. but so this was way way different because again it wasn't about deprivation it was about abundance but the abundance was not the unhealthy variety it was feeding so much more then my organs.
0: Right, right. So what what were the details of that actual juice fast? Was it just is it just drink as much fruit juice and vegetable juice as you want?
1: So the book there's a section in my book that actually breaks those first 10 days down for okay. anybody who's really interested in juicing but like I took a, I had a vlog a video log of mm-hmm. those first 10 days which I'm so grateful for because that was really helpful in writing this book. I was able to really go through what I was go recount what I was going through physically and mentally. But you no, know, I followed Joe Cross's you know reboot community what he what he suggested doing so it was not there's a little bit of fruit in all of the juices but they're based in greens and I think at the time I did uh, I did five a day eventually I started doing juicing every month and I did a juice fest every month for three years. And so the five a day transformed into something else. It transformed into six a day It transformed into a few other little variations as well. But when I started, I started with exactly what he suggested on his website, the join the reboot community. And so I I had six, five juices a day and I, uh, they were based in greens and it was a remarkable, transformation mentally. The actually I consider the weight loss completely secondary. I don't think that most people who are going to juice fast are necessarily going to have that as their you know, as as their outcome. I, I don't think that they necessarily should. Juice fasting to me is not about weight loss. It's about It's about stopping the mayhem in your life and in your mind and in your heart and and rebooting your system in all possible ways. Getting rid of toxic behavior, getting rid of addictions, and just starting over. For me, because I had weight to lose, it also resulted in weight loss. But for you, it wouldn't. That doesn't mean that you wouldn't benefit from a juice fast. Right.
0: Right, and I've tried little things like that, and, and actually noticed what an emotional connection there is to food. Like when I've when I've done those things before, even like three days in, you know, not not very far into it, um, that I have this little like d- depression feeling that happens in like the mid afternoon when I remember that there's not a big hot dinner at the end of this workday. It's and, and I had never ever considered myself having any emotional attachment to food. You know, I thought it was just like you know that that's other people's stuff that that emotional eating thing. Uh, But it was amazing what what you just find out about yourself when when the food rituals are are totally changed or or taken away in some sense.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. And I guess I think it is okay to have somewhat of an emotional attachment to food. I remember the first time someone telling me, that you know, I, I I was a holistic health counselor in my twenties and also went to I got my graduate degree in experiential health and healing. It's funny because at the time I was really unhealthy mm-hmm. and it wasn't taking care of myself. But the first time I had a health counselor and she said to me, It's it's okay to use food to soothe you. It blew my mind. <laughs> like once you look at behavior that you have always been ashamed of and you see start to realize that there's another perspective that normalizes it, it changes your attitude about everything. And so a lot of my process is about discovering how to question assumptions that I had had about myself and about the world and see where the chips landed and and what was real. I'm still figuring that out. I mean, yeah. I, I'm this book is just a moment in time. I'm very much still figuring this out.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess you've, you've kind of answered this, but uh, it sounds like then it wasn't that you had started to change and, and, uh, you know, change on the inside. And as a result said, I'm going to do this juice fast and just start losing all this weight. It was that you reached frustration, reached a level, you know, from, from the bathroom scene that opens the book to, to what you just talked about, uh, of, of going to the doctor that that basically said, okay, something's got to change now. And I'm going to do this just because like you said, everything kind of came together at the right time. But then the actual juice fast itself is what, started to kind of, you know, make a crack in that, in in that whole thing and start to create change from the inside. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, I would say that's definitely true. And I also was following in between juicing. I followed Furman, you know, eat Mm -hmm. to live. Yep. And, you know, for, for people who are like T Colin Campbell and all of that, it's all basically the same thing. I mean, what you talk about, it's all the same thing. We could argue about potatoes or, or like a, quarter teaspoon of oil until the rescued cows come home. But really, the basis of it is whole based foods. And so at the time, during those three years, when I did the juice fasting every month, 10 days, one month, three days, the next, then 10, three, 10, three for three years, in between eating a diet uh, full of, you know, what Dr. Furman talked about, I, I ultimately came out finding a balance that worked for me. So I'm not like as as regimented as I had been in terms of juicing every month. And, and, and the eat to live style has informed my diet, but it doesn't define it mm-hmm. now.
0: Which, which makes sense for a lot of people. Cause that's, it's a, I mean, compared to the way most people eat, very, very restrictive way of eating. Very. Um, I, I love it. I mean, I love ferment and I, I've, just, you know, done a month or so of the eat to live just to kind of see what it was like and to eat way more fruits and vegetables than I typically would. Uh, and it's, it's hard. I mean, it's, you feel great. It's, it's, it's amazing way of eating, but, um, yeah, I mean, for me, the, the, the long term solution has been some kind of balance of that most of the time or a lot of the time and then some little things now and then. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. So, so how, and then was, was it three years or so that, that it took to, to, get to your current weight or is that something that's just well
1: it took two years to lose the weight and then I fought I continued the and most of the weight came off the first year 75 pounds and then took the following year for the rest of it to come and then the following year after that I really got into running and tap dancing and you know it's it's a constant you know it's a constant process it's 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 something I'm always working on, but I feel balanced with food for sure. You know, that's, I'm on a book tour right now. And that's one of the questions I get immediately. You know, how is your eating now? What mm. is your food now? And I feel The most importantly, I feel really good in my body and good in my skin. And, and I feel strong in my choices to consume the right foods. It's not, it's, it's a non issue to me now, but that doesn't mean that the concept of being always too much and never enough or having things in my life that are always too much and never enough is gone. That's in a lot of ways embedded in my personality. And so it manifests in other ways, you know, like maybe I'm, I'll notice one week that I've had a little too much alcohol that week Mm. or. I'll notice that there are people in my life who might fall under the category of toxic. <laughs> Maybe I should rethink that. So it shifts around, but in terms of food and eating, it's it's definitely found its home in inside of me, and it will, I'm sure, live there happily <laughs> for the rest of my days. It feels good.
0: Yeah, well, that that's wonderful. I mean, I mean, you've heard it a million times, but congratulations! I and mean, I think just, just it's, losing that much weight is is incredible, and, and the fact that uh, you've, you've done it. I mean, as far as we know, in a way that, that, uh, wasn't just a, uh, you know, yo-yo diet thing where you, where you lose it, but don't actually address the issues. And then it comes back. Um, you know, it sounds like, and I know you're saying that they do kind of shift around to other places, but it sounds like it's something, you know, that there's a sort of deeper purification that has kind of gone on just from this, from this, uh, yeah, you know, I guess, I guess it's mindfulness around food and consciousness around eating choices, um, did you mentioned you mentioned running and tap dancing? Did you did you have this sort of uh this seems to happen all the time when people not sometimes it's to go vegan or go vegetarian, but sometimes it's to lose weight, get healthy. Um that they then get this desire to do all these things that they couldn't really do before um or not You really know, did. it was
1: almost I I almost feel like I didn't have a choice in the matter. I had so much energy once <laughs> I was losing the weight, and I had been fat my whole life and I had not really moved my body ever. And, you know, I, I just, I, I I hated gym class. I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly unathletic. And so, but, but as I was losing the weight, like I would look at myself and I would notice my legs were just shaking and jumping. And like I had the only exercise I had done for like the first, the beginning of this journey was through my We Fit Uh in, in my living room with the Lines drawn. I did not want anyone to see me working out, so I like looked like if if there was a video of us doing the We Fit games, we would look like such idiots because you're just standing there like doing this fake hula hoop and moving your hips around in circles, and then like skiing. (laughs) But you know, in my mind, that's I'm like on a ski slope in the Alps, you know. But uh, (laughs) anyway, so as as the weight was coming off, I, I had all this energy, and and I just you know I decided. To just try and run around the block, really. And so I did. I didn't have any running clothes. I had old ratty sneakers. And I ran around the block and... And I I really liked feeling like the only thing I had with me was myself. Mm-hmm. It was actually almost a physical thing. Like you always when I, I like I said, I live in New York. And so whenever I go anywhere, I not only have my big stupid bag full of I have no idea what, but I have my office with me. I have my laptop. I have my microphone. I have, you know, whatever I have with me. It's very cumbersome. And when I run, there's nothing with me. I'm also, you know, very noticeable. You know, I have a lot of tattoos and I, I just, I when I run, I'm completely covered up. So there's like this, like, th- there's just this thing that happens where I feel like Superman. Uh-huh. I just, I just like, I feel like I'm just weaving in and out of people. They have no idea what that thing was that just like got, went through them and, <laughs> And then there's just the love affair I have with my city early mornings running when there's absolutely no one out yet and the stores are still closed. Imagine being in Times Square during that time. It's fascinating. So it became about much more than just my physical health. It was a time I was learning about myself, spending time with myself. I processed my grandmother's, you know, dying process and then ultimately her death all while I was running along the Hudson River. Mm-hmm it's a it wasn't about the physical benefits, just mm. like the weight loss wasn't about the numbers right. it all became about my mental well being
0: I love that that is that's really neat uh, I, I think pretty much anyone listening to this who who has run a significant- or probably done other exercise too um but you know as a regimen you know in a significant way where where it's an everyday thing or something you just you're doing it you know whether or not you're in the mood to or not uh can can relate to that and, and the way you can process things. Um, it's amazing. And I think, I think that's really good evidence of just that, that what we talked about that, that you kind of, yes, you lost all this way, but you, you got so much mentally more powerful and stronger. And I think that's, that's, uh, you know, just, uh, just, a, just a very good model for, for the way to do this sort of thing. Um, okay. So so you mentioned at the beginning, and I've heard you mention a few other times too, that you, you felt betrayed and, and still feel betrayed by the, by the food industry, particularly big agriculture. Um, can you expand on that? Like I, I, because I think we all feel that, um, I mean, anyone who, who has paid attention and has and just understands what, what is going on and how deep the problem goes. Um, but, but is that a way, are you, or do you blame that for, for your being overweight for so long and having this terrible relationship with food or is it like, you know, that just sort of contributed to a lot of other things and, and you, you always thought they had your back, but they actually didn't.
1: Yeah. You know what? I like that. The last thing you just said that I always felt like it had my back and it didn't. And I could I could focus on blame, I guess. But I think that it's sort of pointless, too. Mm -hmm. Although I slip into it because I'm human. (laughs) But, you know, you grew up in the 80s. Also, did you drink a big cup of milk every day for dinner?
0: Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, everything else.
1: Do Do you feel like you were an abused person by your parents for putting out the milk? Or do you feel like they were just doing their best?
0: Yeah, of course, the latter. I mean, it wasn't yeah. their fault, you know. They and so you're right. So someone at the top, or or maybe not someone, but something, some big entity. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you're right. Yeah,
1: I mean that's that's the thing. It's as a body good. Had, ugh, it's so disgusting to even just think. I remember the glass I drank it into. This big red glass with this milk <laughs> in it. Anyway, it, it was. It, I we all fell for it. We all fell for the marketing. My mother, who was trying her best. She fell for the marketing that became part of who I was. I fell for the marketing. It's everywhere. And of course, the ultimate betrayal is is the animal agriculture industry, which is so hidden behind closed doors, doing their very, very, very best to keep us all shielded from it with these, you know, images of happy cows and and, you know, little families that seem idyllic. Rather than focusing on the actual reality of what's going on, the way these animals are exploited and commodified and abused and tortured beyond comprehension, and that that is directly what we put into our bodies, what we spend our hard-earned money on, it is incomprehensible to me that I was part of that system. But I was because I fell for it. And once you start to realize that you fell for something for your whole entire life, everything is upside down, and you start to to think, well, what else have I fallen for? If we just lived based on the status quo, we would never be a truthful person. And it was really liberating to me to realize that in a world where I had very, very little power over how I spent my money and what I put into my body, I found that I had power of boycott. And to me, boycotting is most easily defined by veganism. It is a boycott against cruelty. And it is a way of embracing a world you want to live in, not only for political reasons, not only for an extension of your own, uh, compassion and, 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 and worldview, but for, for yourself and, and who you want to be. So that, that was how I felt betrayed and, and I felt betrayed also by the junk food industry. And, and, you know, I just recently spoke at a fat phobia conference in Salt Lake City and, you know, most of the talks I give are not in front of vegans, which is sometimes Terrifying, but mm-hmm. ultimately, it's what I, it's the audiences I want to be speaking to, and the the people in the audience who were mostly very involved in the body positivity movement. One place where we absolutely saw eye to eye was standing against the manipulation of the fast food industry and of the processed food industry. And that is a really good starting point for anybody who wants to go through life as like an autonomous consumer rather than a consumer who's just buying all this bullshit that that these non foods are there to make somebody at the top richer and therefore, they're completely accessible to us, making us sick, killing us, and cutting us off from our ethics
0: along the way. And and do you treat that? Um, I mean, with, with the work you do at Our House, which I want to get into a little bit, um, do you treat those two things as as different, different big entities at the top? The the animal agriculture and then the junk food industry are those different things, or are they the same the same enemy that you're fighting?
1: I've never. Thought about it that way before. I would say, on an overarching level, it's it's the same. It's all based in a consumerist society and mentality. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that there is a difference too, which is that the animal agriculture industry is actually exploiting the bodies and byproducts of of individuals, the absent referent, as Carol Adams calls them, and these individuals are completely missing from the picture. Whereas the junk food industry, the 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 bodies that it's exploiting are human. So we have much more of a say in the right. matter right. than the animals who are being hidden who don't have any say because we don't speak cow and we don't speak chicken.
0: Yeah. Right. Which which is which is the role that that an organization like Our Handhouse plays, right? To to be hopefully the voice and many other organizations as well. Um, to kind of provide the, the voice for, for those who, who don't have it. And actually what you do is, I guess you help other, you help people have a voice, right? You help other people who, who want to be the voice for animals in getting, um, their own thing. So I think I didn't really realize until recently that Our handhouse House is actually much bigger than, than just the podcast. And just the podcast is, is no small thing because it's, it's an incredibly popular vegan podcast. Um, what else, what else do you do? Like what else does Our handhouse do? It's a nonprofit. You co-founded it, Correct.
1: Yes, I co-founded it in in 2010. So this Genu- January 2010,
0: r- right before all the weight loss stuff sparked kind yes, of began.
1: Exactly, same year. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Do you think
0: that? Re- do you think that played a part at all, or I just think totally? It's, you
1: know, you could probably on the day I die, you could probably look at all this stuff and say, yeah, that was related because I had left a job as the campaigns manager for Farm Sanctuary, which was a great job. I loved it, mm-hmm. but I left it because I felt like. I I felt like uh, I wanted to work to help embolden people to get involved in changing the world in their own way as opposed to through top-down organizational campaigns. And I'm also – I'm aware of what I'm good at and I I felt like I would be better used in a media role than as – in the role I had been in before. So that to me is a step toward my own truth. And ultimately what I wound up doing on September 1st, 2010, when I started this journey was also an in, in, in effort of getting closer to my truth. So yes, in in, in a poetic sense, it was definitely connected. Mm-hmm. And I co-founded it with Marianne Sullivan in 2010. And we did become, we are most known for our, the Our Hen House podcast, which is now in its seventh year and we're on episode You know, 333 Or something like that I mean, you've been doing this forever too So you know We've never missed a week of production We have a lot of fun We have biting banter About the the state of animal rights We have commentary About what the opposition is saying about us We have interviews with celebrities And change makers of all stripes We have reviews of vegan products We have uh, We we, we have a, a lot of fun We are indefatigably positive There's also the Animal Law podcast which Marianne Sullivan hosts. She teaches animal law at Columbia University and is quite brilliant. Um, where she she will talk to a lawyer who is working on an actual case that's affecting animals. That's the basis of the animal law podcast. But it is also very accessible to non lawyers. And then the most recent podcast we have is the teaching Jasmine how to cook vegan podcast. And that's me, because it, and I'm the befuddled one, I'm the one who can't really cook. And and there's now chef Laura Delhauer is our cook in residence. And she's always teaching me how to cook. So we we also have a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I'm not a great cook, and all of the recipes are very jasmine-friendly and jasmine-accessible. And we're just kind of having a blast along the way, too. So we also have an online magazine. We have several thousand articles that we've published, uh, and we have an ebook publishing arm. We are about to come up with our our second ebook, which I'm really excited about. It's it's by Anat Pick, and that should be coming out in probably June. Um, so we, we definitely do a lot. I've also been spending many years giving talks around the country on veganism and activism. But now that I'm on a book tour, I'm focusing on the talks are, are more centered around always too much and never enough.
0: Sure. Right. Cool. So anyone who wants to check that out uh, and hasn't before is at OurHenHouse.org. And, of course, the podcast on iTunes, Our Henhouse, uh, as well as the other titles you mentioned, I'm sure, are on iTunes if you just type them in. Uh, last thing, Jasmine, before I let you go is – Something I've I've also heard uh, a few times, and I know this is this is the kind of the what what made the book happen was the Mind Body Green article mm. um, called "What What Losing a Hundred Pounds Taught Me About How We Treat Overweight People," uh, and what you had to say about that is really interesting because I, I first came across it in the book. This just this I think it was just one line um, that that kind of you know gave me the sense that you were a little bit angry at the way. You know, at what do you realize about the way uh, our culture treats overweight, fat people, whatever you want to call them? Um, once you went thin, once you once you got thin, by you know, being treated really well, which which you said you sort of liked, but that it really kind of made you angry. Can you talk about that a little bit, please?
1: Yeah that article went viral and it got like a hundred thousand Facebook shares within a day or something and that is ultimately what led to the book and that is a through line in the book which is how easily we cast others aside and, and arbitrarily celebrate the ones who we are told by society that we should celebrate that of course is part of my worldview as an activist and how easily we cast animals aside but for me once I lost the weight I started to realize that I had jumped the fence from something that the world had previously decided was less than into something that the world was like, hey, cool, yeah, join our club. And it was really jarring. And I wasn't expecting it. And, and I knew that some things would change. But what I didn't totally realize was that it would become abundantly clear to me the ways that I had been treated before I lost the weight, which was clear by the ways I was being accepted now. So that manifested in small ways, which I talk about in the book, but there were like thousands and thousands of small ways that it manifested. And then I started to notice the way I looked at, at, at fat people. And I used the word fat very much on purpose, by the way. I don't use the word overweight. I know it's in the title of that article <laughs> right. that you just read, but I didn't title that article. Okay. Uh, but, you know, I, I apparently mind body green knows what they're doing. because They got, they got a lot of, of attention for that article. So uh, sure. but yes, I, I, I realized that, you know, there's this one scene in my book where, where somebody asks me how my tap class was that evening. And I say, it was good. There was a new woman in my class. And, and they say, well, what was she like? And I say, she's fat. And I was like, what? Like, why was that what I noticed? Uh You know, so I start to realize the way that maybe joining this club has impacted the way I look at others. And it's a a process that is not fun. It's not fun to look at ourselves with this light shining on on how we treat others. Even those of us who, like me, have been an activist our our whole lives and consider ourselves, like, really... Kind people and empathic people. It it really screwed with my head to notice how differently I had been treated. It made me not trust quite so easily. I'm a little. It made me a little bit more jaded. And ultimately, it liberated me. And it made me see things from a broader perspective that I think is making me a more effective activist and storyteller.
0: Can you expand on that last bit? That in what way did it liberate you? I'm I'm not quite. In, in
1: what ways did it liberate me? Yeah, when you say I, I mean, don't think that we can i I don't think that we can look at ourselves totally honestly um until we face our own fears and our and and it was a fear of mine to become a person who wasn't quite as as fair as I wanted to be to others, Mm -hmm. especially for a group that had been my group for so many years, you know, the, the Fat Kids Club. And so when I when I was able to look at the ways that I had changed, because it was easier for me to be a thin person in this world, I started to notice that that wasn't who I wanted to be. I still wanted to be you know, a better version of myself, I was completely torn between feeling like the fat person on the inside, which is, you know, something that I think I probably always will feel like, and re- realizing that I'm not and how does that affect how I treat myself and how I treat others. So ultimately, it liberated me because I, I became compassionate to myself and realized that I'm I'm on this journey too, along with everybody else. And as I said, this book is just a moment. This book is just a moment in time. So it made me a stronger activist because I realized that not only was I was not only was was I speaking up for others who are non-human, but I was also needing to bring in myself into the equation and uh-huh. my own experiences. I think that personal narrative is a really important part of social change and radical honesty and radical self-honesty is something I'm working on every day. I don't have it down. There are ways <laughs> that I lie to myself every day. And and as I start to continue to untangle those, I'll become a better activist and hopefully a better person.
0: Great. I like that. I think it's a great place to end. Uh, because that that, you know, the book, like you said, is, is this moment in time. Um, and it it's it's your your thoughts your way of looking at the world through this process and uh, i think you know it's just it's just a really interesting thing i've i've like i said really enjoyed the first few chapters that i've read so far uh plan to read the whole thing of course even though this interview is is, uh, is over <laughs> um but yeah I, I, and i would highly recommend it to anyone who who has enjoyed this conversation it is interesting so it's always too much and never enough and jasmine where is the best place for people to go to get that
1: if you go to my website com, and just keep in mind there's no e on jasmine so it's j a s m i n jasminesinger.com then you could you could click to wherever you want to buy it Amazon, Barnes & Noble IndieBound, the library wherever you could get it there and if you go to org, there's also information about it there and you could find out more about our our podcasts there as well
0: all right and I would highly recommend that everybody do exactly that Jasmine thank you so much for your time thank you for this book and uh, thank you for all the work that you do for for animals and it sounds like now for people so thank you very much thanks Nat all right